Welcome to episode 82 of the Wii Sports Chronicles podcast, Masters Edition. The 2020 Masters is in the books. I'm your host, Lucas Weiss, and here to put a bow on the 2020 Masters, I'm pleased to be joined by Will Gray of NBC Sports. Will, welcome to the podcast. How you doing, man? Thanks for coming on. Yeah, Lucas, good to be with you. I uh, appreciate that. There were uh, a long stretch of 2020 where I was not sure we were going to a 2020 masters now we have gotten there it's in the books we've got dj in the green jacket we've got a quick turnaround to 2021 so uh, all things considered pretty good 144 days will till the 2021 masters which is pretty uh pretty sensational but uh here we are with as you said dustin johnson being the 2020 masters champion becoming uh winning his second major and also setting the tournament record with a with a 72 hole score beating uh, Tiger and Jordan Spieth's 72 hole score. So let me just start by by your thoughts of today. I mean, I know he entered the day four strokes ahead and it was a little bit bumpy to start, but then he definitely rounded the ship and uh was able to 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 hold on to win. Yeah. I think that it was interesting, you know, he played so well Saturday in the third round that everyone kind of couched it last night of, well, how exactly could he blow it from here? <laughs> and I think that that speaks a lot to uh, the tumultuous relationship that DJ has had with majors where we, we've seen him before coming into today. He was over four with at least a share of the 54 hole lead. He had lost, you know, with penalties on 18, he had been outplayed uh, as he was by Colin Morikawa in August, the PGA, every, every way you could lose it, DJ has found a way. And it did get a little, little tight there, certainly. Uh, after the bogeys on four and five, all of a sudden he's only one shot uh, up after you know going from four to one in the span of five holes. And you started to look at it and you thought, all right, well, if, if it was going to start to fritter away, there were all these comparisons to Norman and Faldo in 96. That was kind of how it needed to start. But very quickly from there, he birdies six, he steadies the ship. And uh, the back nine was essentially a coronation, which all things considered, you know, good for him. He, he deserved that. And, and it was great to see him win in emphatic fashion after coming up short so many times before me. Absolutely. And, and, and certainly, as you said, I mean, the 0 for 4 with a 54-hole lead certainly staggering. And I know that he did win a major at the 2016 U.S. Open at Oakmont, but he talked about in his post-round press conference about getting that second major. And, and often... When you get that second major, it sort of etches you into a, a more higher echelon of uh, of golfers. I mean, obviously DJ coming into this Masters, I mean he was he had won twenty three times on the PGA Tour. He already had a major, but now that he has the two majors as well as a FedEx Cup, where do you sort of put him um, amongst his peers, just in terms of his legacy? That's still a lot more to be written, according to DJ. Yeah, I think it's interesting that we've spent so much time we talk about who's the best player without a major, and that's such an easy, uh, you know, it's a low-hanging fruit topic of discussion. <laughs> but we got to a point now where there was a bottleneck of one-time major winners, and the question was, who's going to break out of that group, whether it's Jason Day, Justin Rose, Adam Scott, DJ, Henrik Stenson, the list goes on and on of guys who in, in the last five, six, seven years have gotten a major, they've gotten over the hurdle, and they haven't yet added a second, certainly Dustin Johnson has the accolades that would put him head and shoulders above most people in that group. But, you know, I do think it's interesting that if, if 
DJ had only won one major, and even with the FedEx Cup this year and, and all the cash money in the bank, I do think he would have gone down as one of the greatest underachievers mm -hmm. of his generation. I think that that speaks to his talent level and just how good he is, that he could win 20 times, including a major, and that career would still be looked at, and you'd think, hey, he didn't get as much out of that as he should. Winning now this, this week, you know, adding a Masters next to a U.S. Open at an iconic course like Oakmont, it's absolutely going to bolster his legacy. And at 36, he could he could certainly add another one in, in five months, 144 days, as you mentioned. No one is going to expect that this is the last we've heard from Dustin Johnson. He's world number one for a reason. But I do think that, especially for a guy of his caliber and of his immense talent and credentials, going from one to two, that matters a lot. Brooks Kempka can no, no longer say he just has one major, right? You know, so he, he's got half. Brooks he's got half. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's interesting because if you look at the round today, I mean, obviously, I think the birdie on six was important in sort of getting the round back together. But DJ mentioned after his round that 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 the third shot on eleven, you know, getting it to you know within a makeable par range was really important, and then of course getting that shot on the par three twelfth over Race Creek and into. Uh, you know, makeable range. Of course, we saw Tiger make a 10, and we've seen many Masters dreams dashed on that uh, famous par 312. So I look at those two shots there, Will, as sort of where I thought, okay, he did it. Now it's time for the coronation for him to win his uh, second major. Well, it's called Amen Corner for a reason, right? Yeah. right? I mean, you're talking about this, you know, the approach into 11, the tee shot on 12, tee shot on 13. That's where so many rounds it, it hangs in the balance when you're at Augusta National and we did see you know Cam Smith came up right before DJ and was not able to get up and down on 11 from a pretty similar spot and so for, for Dustin to come up and as you said hit a really good pitch shot and, and save par there from there you start to try and find the landmines like where exactly could it go sideways 12 is certainly an example where you know a a miss by 10 feet is going to cost you two or three shots uh, and then 13 and, and 15 there's still water in play but yeah, once he got through those holes, knowing the, the advantage he has off the tee on 13 and 15 with those par fives, I'm sure he was breathing at least a little bit more of a sigh of relief. And then rolling in birdies on, on 14 and 15, really kind of, he was able to let his guard down. But, but I agree, you know, when you're going to look back at, at the, the clip reel of the 2020 final round, there were a couple of parts there where it started to look a little bit interesting. I don't think there was ever a point in which Dustin Johnson was in trouble. He never relinquished the league, and I think that was important. But it was not exactly a five-shot, you know, runaway the entire way. It's amazing when you look that, I mean, he, he joins, you know, so many records and, and, you know, in history when you think of he's, you know, one of four golfers to win the Masters as the world number one. When you look at, of course, we mentioned the, you know, setting the record for a 72-hole score. But I look at the stat, Will, you know, strokes gained, you know, you know, T degree and, and approach. And if you combine those two, he almost gained like five strokes ahead of the field. And of course, we know Dustin is an amazing driver of the ball, but I think this week really affirmed how much he's improved on the approach game as well as the short game with his irons, wedges, and the putting. I know DJ mentioned in his post round press conference about the putting lesson he had with Greg Norman, working with Claude Harmon, things like that. So, it's just to me been a great transformation. He's not just known as the guy as the big bomber off the tee, but he's really become a complete golfer on on the course. 
Absolutely. And I think if you look back at his stats from 2016, when he really made that big jump in his career prior to this week, you know, when he won the major, he got to world number one, he was clipping off two and three wins at a, at a time. It wasn't because he was driving. He was always a great driver. It was because of the wedge game. It was because of the statistical improvement from 150 and in. That's the part that really gives him an edge. And as you mentioned, when you're adding, you know, his ball striking, basically the, the, the tee to green or, or the off the tee plus the approach, he just has to putt decently for the week, and he's going to have a really good chance. And that's clearly something that we saw this week. He understands Augusta National's greens. This is now five years in a row. He's been inside the top ten. He was a runner-up last so there's not a lot of you know nuance that he doesn't pick up on uh, on those greens, but but absolutely the the driving has always been there for TJ, and I think that it's as we saw a few years ago when he won at Oakmont, what separates him and what kicks him into this other gear that other players really struggle to keep up with. If you think of how well he was playing this summer, it's the iron game, it's 150 and in, and it's around the green. And I think it was also amazing too. Well, just you know after the round, just seeing how much this meant to him because I think I would characterize DJ as someone that's just unflappable on the golf course I mean we've seen you know Canadians know him he's an RBC Canadian Open winner and, and he just was again very unflappable goes about his business very laid back when he's on the golf course but to see him so emotional I think just shows you I mean what you know these athletes just go through in terms of the preparation and how much work they put into this and I think given the year DJ's had, and certainly, I mean, he was, you know, he had coronavirus a few weeks ago that, you know, knocked him out of the game for a bit. And of course, him being, growing up so close to Augusta, you could just see how much this meant him. And I think it was another side that many golf fans really didn't, didn't know DJ had within him, but it was really, I think, refreshing and authentic to see. There have been a lot of firsts in 2020. Uh, <laughs> catching DJ speechless and on the verge of tears was not a first I expected to cross, <laughs> and yet here we are. Absolutely, I mean that was it was a great interview. Uh, you know, after the round, he's in the green jacket. Amanda Balionis with CBS did a great job of of just hitting on those points. And you're right, I think it has a lot to do with the proximity. Growing up in South Carolina, he went to school at Coastal Carolina down there, so that's he has a, a particular affinity for that part of the. And, and I think that it speaks to the magnitude of so many things. It speaks to, you know, the importance of this event. It speaks to, as we discussed, the importance of getting from one major to two. And then just everything that he's been through on and off the course this year. That, yeah, he's one of those guys that is going to put in the grind. And, and I do think that there was an aspect of he felt overshadowed by Brooks Kepka over the last couple of years. And people weren't talking about him. And they were, they were drifting elsewhere for their stories. And now all of a sudden he comes out guns blazing this summer. He is a clear number one player in the world. He runs through the FedEx Cup playoff, cashes a $15 million check, and we get to Augusta, and we're still talking about Bryson. And we're, <laughs> we're not talking about, you know, Dustin Johnson, the world number one. And I agree, some of that had to do with, you know, he had COVID and he was out for a couple of weeks, but he did finish T2 last week in Houston. It's not like he's coming in on a slump, but he was somehow moderately uh, under the radar coming into the week between a lot of talk, understandably so, with with Bryson. You talk about Tiger as the defending champ. You talk about Rory trying to get the career grand slam, and here's the world number one trying to wave his hands and say, hey guys, remember me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the most news that DJ made before the tournament was his affection for the master sandwiches. I mean, it just felt like everyone was focused on on Bryson, and, and rightfully so, and Tiger being the defending champion, like you said. But, 
think DJ just sort of flew under the radar and took advantage of that and said, remember me, because it, it wasn't a few months ago that he's a FedEx Cup champion, player of the year, and we had and had a fantastic 2020, by all accounts, on the golf course. Uh, first of all, we have to give credit where credit is due. The master sandwiches are phenomenal. Yeah, of so course. Hang on right there. They are, they are worth all the hype that he's going to give them. I hope for the Champions Dinner next year, he just rolls in just a <laughs> plate of his sandwiches, and he comes out with the, the smallest Champions Dinner tab of anyone since you know Ben Hogan or something <laughs> like that. But it, you know, it's funny. That's the sort of stuff that gets clicks and that gets attention when it comes to DJ early in the week, and there's you know a lot of stereotypes that, that go along with him. But I do think it speaks to... You know, he's an, a relatively uncomplicated guy, and I think in a lot of ways that has helped him. If you look back at some of the losses he's incurred, whether it's Whistling Straits, whether it's Chambers Bay, both on the final hole, those alone would have broken mere mortals. Mm -hmm. And, you know, let's look at what, you know, how much scar tissue Jordan Spieth accrued from one major gone awry in 2016. And here's DJ just kind of racking them up. He put it OB at you know, Royal St. George's in 2011, cost himself an open championship. He's finished second in all four majors. Uh, you know, he dealt with kind of giving it up at, at down the stretch to Brooks Kepka last year at Bethpage. And here he is, you know, the next week, the next month, the next year. And you don't notice anything about him that's differently. And I think that that's because there isn't anything that's different. And he has this unflappable nature that really tends to work. And that's why the, the tears on the green with Amanda were, were a bit stunning, frankly, mm -hmm. because he does seem so unflappable. But, but I think that that's a big reason why he has been able to have the success he has had despite losses and heartbreak that would have really sidetracked a, a more you know normal let's quote unquote uh player there were other golfers on the golf course beyond the winner dustin johnson i know that uh you know the two golfers that got uh, a share of second place cameron smith and sun jm both shooting uh 69s today they were they ended up being five back of Dustin Johnson, but how impressed were you, Will, with them? Because they certainly on around there, I thought for a lot longer than you know many people probably would have predicted heading into today. Today, yeah, I do think that it was an interesting dynamic in that you know coming into the day, DJ was four shots up, but he was the three people that were closest to him were not exactly a murderer's row. I think if he would have had Justin Thomas or Rory or Bryson or Kepka in that group at 12 under four shots back, maybe the approach, the demeanor is a little bit different, but that's, you know, that's how the leaderboard shaped up. And so of that trio, I was interested to see who's going to rise and who's going to fall. And as you mentioned, you know, Sunjay and Cam Smith both acquitted themselves really well. I do think I was, I was especially impressed with Sunjay because he's a master's rookie. And we always know this is a place that where there's a learning curve and you really have to, you know, figure it out and you have to play here a couple times before you're going to break through. You have to go back to, Jordan Spieth in 2014 when he finished T2 at, as a Masters rookie, and you saw you saw what he did the following year. I, I don't know if Sunjay is going to route the field in April, but you know he does have the game certainly to win a major. Cam Smith finished T5 two years ago. Now he has a runner-up. Clearly, he's developing a bit of a major pedigree and a bit of an affinity for Augusta National. I think that speaks well for his future down the road. For sure, and I mean, I thought, look, I mean, DJ was only at one point one ahead, so like they they definitely cut the lead uh, d down considerably early on in the round. But I thought where it sort of went a bit off the rails, so to speak, was when was Sanjay's second shot on five, because of course DJ hits it in the bunker. He then, you know, it, it's looking like you know he's fighting for par. Sanjay could have really put some pressure on him there, but then he hits sort of a wayward second shot. 
and and then of course you know DJ settles down and and, and gets back and, and holds his lead. But I agree with you. I mean, I think we're we're definitely seeing a lot more younger guys not afraid of the moment. And and, and I'll, I'll say this: I think the fact that there may have, you know there were no patrons there, I think maybe may may have helped those guys like a Sanjay as a Masters rookie. And he's just saying, I have no pressure. I'm just going to go out and play the best I can to try to chase uh, Dustin Johnson. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you look back at 2020, whether it's Colin Morikawa at the PGA, Matt Wolf at the U.S. Open, there has been an effect to boost the first-timers in those situations of not having fans, not having patrons this week. So I, I think that that did help Sungjae to a certain extent. I will say, he, he ended up making an all-world par on five. <laughs> he had an up and down from the jump back there. I don't recall seeing anyone back there in recent history, and then DJ ends up missing his par putt. So there was still that, you know, that moment of doubt there coming off of five, but it didn't take long if you noted, you know, DJ hits it in there on, on six, makes a birdie, and he, he goes on from there. Rory McIlroy, we, we mentioned earlier, trying to get the career grand slam. He finishes in a tie for fifth. And I don't know about you, Will, I mean, but, you know, when, when Rory gets going and starts to, you know, build a charge, I mean, social media social media loves Rory. And, and I think that that storyline of him trying to join such a small uh, class of people with the career grand slam is certainly uh, intriguing. But, you know, again, with Rory, it just feels like he, he has three great rounds and then there's that one round you would like to just throw out the window. And here again at, at Augusta National, it's that first round of 75. I guess it's just a matter of, you know, tr- you know, again, just multiple attempts of putting himself in the mix could maybe do it. But hey, there's a lot of great golfers that also haven't won the Masters. And I think Rory made the good point this week when he said, like, look, you have to earn it at Augusta National to try and, uh, and to try and win the career Grand Slam. What, what are your thoughts on just what you saw from Rory this week? Yeah, I think you you encapsulated it pretty well. I, I think there's no doubt at this point the Gus National and the Masters is in his head. For better or worse, he's going to have to deal with or try and find a way to sort through the demons and the close calls. I think that this will be a result that is incredibly deceptive when you look it up on Wikipedia in you know two or two or three years when we see it. He's going to sit there at T5, and you're going to say, I don't really recall him being in the mix. And, and it's funny that this is his second best finish ever at the Masters. Mm. He finished fourth in 2015 behind speed when he was 12 back after 36 holes so there is an element i think of freewheeling it as we saw over this weekend that that helps him and maybe this is how he's going to get the jacket of maybe he's three or four down going into the last nine and he just says you know the heck with it let's let's roll and he puts off you know a string of four or five birdies to kind of get into the mix but you know as you said he is absolutely talented enough to win the masters but so were tom weisskopf so was greg norman you know, so were so many other guys, Ernie Els, that come to mind of, of players who had the talent and you thought when they're in their prime, they're absolutely going to get it and they didn't get it done. He's, what, he's 31 going on 32. Uh, so he's got plenty of prime years uh, still ahead of him. But the more this goes on, the more we're still, still talking about it every year, every spring, once we get back on a normal schedule, the bigger a hurdle it's going to be for him to try and get over. I know that we mentioned how, I mean, for, for some of the golfers that, that just weren't in those final couple of groups, I mean, you know, I look at a guy like Brooks Kepka, Justin Thomas, John Rahm, I mean, Bryson DeChambeau, certainly, I mean, you know, a lot of talk coming in this week, he did make the cut, but, you know, had a disappointing finish, Tiger Woods as well, I mean, I'm just curious for, for you, 
what were some of your sort of, you know, guys that you thought underperformed this week? And, and for me, I would just say this. I mean, I agree with you that if that of a lot of those guys, you know, some of the bigger names were in those couple of final groups, I think it could have maybe put a little bit more pressure on a guy like Dustin Johnson who, who had that four-shot lead. Yeah, there were certainly, a, you know, several guys that were in the mix there, but then there were some others that you, you kind of expected to be there that weren't. I look at a guy like Xander Shoffley, who I was very high on this week. I feel like I've spent the entire summer trying to predict a Xander win. It didn't come this week either, even after, you know, a strong opening round. He, he kind of no-showed over the weekend. But I, I'm interested now, especially after DJ won, I, I'm interested to see what John Rahm does, mm. especially in the majors. He is putting together a great resume. He got to world number one this year. The majors are the next step for him, and he really has not gotten into the mix on Sunday. We saw him there yesterday. He's, you know, share the lead going into the, the final 36 holes, and then he has an issue on, on eight where he kind of hits a shot that I'm very familiar with, the quick hook three wood that goes about 75 yards left. I've got that one in the bag for sure. But, uh, you know, I, I want to see John Rahm get into the mix because I think that's important. As we saw with Bryson, he didn't just come out of the woodwork to win at Wingfoot. He finished T4 at the PGA the month prior. And I think getting into the mix, giving yourself opportunities like that is going to be very key to potentially getting into the winner's circle and getting the major that everyone expects to get or that expects John Rahm to get sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, John Rahm with that shot on eight, I think any recreational golfer can relate to that. But also, the uh, I think he had the shortest uh, post-round press conference after uh, round three. I think it was like 44 seconds. I don't think he was too happy with, uh, with, with that. But I think for him on the golf course, what's good for me is, while he isn't, you know, outspoken and expressive, I, I think he certainly kept that a bit in check this week. And... I think, you know, going forward, I think he's just someone that's just too good not to be in the mix. Like, I just think he has too many good tools of his game. We've seen him win with, you know, stacked leaderboards, good tracks. So, I'm definitely excited to see what what, what, what he does heading into 2021. Yeah, this is this might be a little bit inside baseball, but I will say that John Rahm, more so than maybe every other star, when you, when you come in... Up a, up a hot round you're not sure if the guy's going to talk to you you try and think of this icebreaker question to at least get them started and more often than not with golf media it's going to be you know how do you describe the round like everyone knows yeah. you just had a bad round no one wants to say like wow that was a really crappy round what do you think so you just open it up with this generic how would you describe the round and let the player take it from there and john rom does not tolerate that question whatsoever <laughs> he's been consistent in that for years that happened again on saturday where you ask him that and and he says well what, what how do you think I, you know, would describe the round. I think it was terrible. I played awful. I just lost a chance to win the Masters. So uh, I think that uh, to his credit, he's at least consistent in that remark. But I agree with you. I think that everyone in the golf media world, fans in general, do expect him to get a major at some point. Speaking of, uh, you know, certain golfers, I mean, I'm sure you made some picks, you know, heading into <laughs> heading into this week. I'm just curious how, how they turned out for you, Will. Uh, well, I was on Team Xander. That didn't work out well. I was on uh, Terrell Hatton, who low-key had one of the most disappointing years in the majors of anyone. Mm. He's cutting all three majors after being a top-ten player in the world. He's won twice this year. A lot of people expected a lot of th big things out of him, including me. So those whiffs, uh, I did have, uh, you know, with our friends at, at PointsBet and NBC, you had a prop on Bryson to make an eagle at some point in the in the tournament. He finally got there uh, <laughs> on Sunday. That one worked out well. There were a couple other props. Uh, that, that hit it was you know it's fun especially when you get yeah. events like this that have 
you know, casual fans. You got this weekend, we had cross-sport props with college football and NFL, and, and you get more people drawn into these events than potentially otherwise would, uh, you know, be watching. I, I think it's fun, and it's it gives you a little bit of, you know, extra incentive to keep watching as, as uh, Dustin Johnson's winning by four or five. Honestly, like having college game day. I mean, I I know it's on another network, so I won't I won't mention the network. But uh, it was. Listen, college, I have no problem with college game day, ESPN. Okay, no, it's all good. I, no, 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 that's awesome. But uh, you know, that was that was pretty cool because I mean, I you know, here's hoping we we may never have a November Masters again. But to have that once in in a lifetime opportunity come to fruition and to see. Uh, Lee Corso's uh, big heads of the different uh, different golfers. That was pretty cool as well. Yeah, absolutely. That was as you as you mentioned, a one of a kind. Hopefully, a one of a kind opportunity. Uh, but you know, it's great to see them set up shop right there on the par three course, just across the street from the tenth tee. And you know, it doesn't get any better. Anytime you can get extra scenery from Augusta National, whether there's golf shots being hit or not, I'll take it. I know we mentioned off the top about just you know just the miracle of, you know, the Masters happening and even three majors happening this year. Obviously, I think, you know, it's interesting to look back and see on the three major championships. But I would say, Will, I mean, three worthy champions in Colin Morikawa, Bryson DeChambeau, and, and Dustin Johnson. Maybe just, you know, your thoughts on, on, on the three majors that we had and, and just the fact that, the PGA Tour was able to pull this off because, boy, I I remember that week and seeing the headlines when when the Players Championship was canceled and it looked bleak. But here we are with you know with a, a truncated calendar, but three major championships and three worthy winners. Yeah, I think coming into first of all, I agree. There was a, definitely a period there in June where you were wondering how it was going to go. But I think that going into it, once you realized the majors were going to happen, there was a, a question of is there going to be an asterisk next to the winner of these tournaments? And if, you know, no disrespect to my friend Jim Herman, but if Jim Herman comes through and wins the U.S. Open at the PGA, are we going to look at this and say, hey, you know, what's this guy doing winning a major? But I think that the, the three that you got, all world-class players, all top ten in the world, understandable. Maybe Colin Morikawa is earlier with the major than you would have expected, but everyone thought that he was on a path that it could have put that in in position to get a major within a couple of years. So I do think that having those caliber winners for these three events, it avoids the asterisk. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's going to be an asterisk, I think, with DJ with the scoring record, mm -hmm. because this course was definitely a little bit different than Masters that we've seen before in April. But in terms of the winners, in terms of how history will look back on these events, I think that it, they're just going to blend into uh, the normalcy of the rest of the results, which I think for all parties considered, that's probably a good yeah, like I think the PGA was certainly the most tense, I would say. Like I remember on the back nine there, at one point there were like five guys tied for first on the 12th hole. And then like, you know, a, a mixture of, uh, you know, many guys within two shots of the lead. And then the U.S. Open and Masters was more just, you know, a tour de force and a dominating performance by Bryson and, and DJ respecti respectively. But I definitely agree with you on that master scoring thing. Like, I think, you know, yes, it is a tournament record. It's, you know, forever etched into the history books. But, like, someone tweeted yesterday about Tigers in 97. And Tiger won by 12 shots. And there were only, like, four players, four under or better um, in, in, in that tournament. And, like, obviously this tournament had a lot more scoring because of the softer conditions. But I think overall, like, 
as you said, three deserving winners. I definitely give the PGAs like the best quality of the three, like just in terms of like you can't beat, you know, a cluttered leaderboard on Sunday and on the back nine. But hey, to have major championship golf, uh, you know, even if it was on different times of the year, I'll take it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think that the PGA was certainly most exciting when you have, you know, Bryson win by six, DJ win by five. There's not much you can do about that, but those guys clearly distance themselves against elite competition. You know, and you tip your hat to them in, in, in achieving that. Uh, but the drama was certainly reserved for that first one. And that was such a, a welcome respite after so long without a major to finally get one. And it was really dramatic coming on the back nine. That's that's one that we look back at fondly. But, yeah, I think that sometimes we can get out of hand with the, these scoring records and especially the, how they've piled up the last few years. And you've seen it in, in other sports. Sometimes it happens. But golf is always very sensitive with their record book. And even when Jordan Spieth was tying Tiger's scoring mark of 18 under uh, from 97 to 2015, everyone looked back and they said, well, it's a little different. And as you mentioned, Tiger was lapping the field. And so that one still feels a little bit different. Ray Floyd winning in, I think, 75. There's there's a few where the guy just went out and lapped the field. And this didn't quite feel like that. The fact that Cam Smith now becomes the first player ever at the Masters with four straight rounds in the 60s and he doesn't win the tournament speaks volumes uh you know to just how how soft the conditions were no no disrespect to him it was a great week but i think that that's an amazing factor that no one had ever done that in augusta history and he does it and he still doesn't even come close to winning even though he was tied for second last three questions for you will i'm going to do a little bit of rapid fire here what, what, what i've been doing for a lot of my master's guests so if you were to create the champion's dinner menu what would be on it I would probably go, you know, I'm a seafood paella guy. If you want like a, a big, I think Sergio had that a couple years ago. That's a good go-to of like a hearty, you know, a little starchy and, and that'll be a crowd pleaser. I do like Tiger's milkshake move. He's very consistent with the milkshake. I think you have to have a strong closer to the menu, no matter how you go. But uh, yeah, that would, that'd be a good way to go. And then we talked about sandwiches. What's your go-to master sandwich? I'm definitely team egg salad. Uh, I, I got some of the pimento in for, for this week that they shipped to, to a few of us. And that you can work as a spread, maybe on crackers, but it's so rich. It's hard to do that personally as a sandwich. But if, when I'm in the press building up there, yeah, give me one egg salad in the morning, a chicken biscuit. I'm, I'm good to go. And finally, I mean, you know, it's it's never too early to look ahead to 2021. Who's, who's a golfer that you're going to ride into next year to see if they can maybe win uh, a major championship? That's a good question. Uh, we've, we've had an hour to, to put 2020 to bed. we got to start thinking about 21. Uh, I do like the fact that I, I feel like we're done talking about Ricky Fowler as the next guy. Right? Mm. Like that's just kind of we've moved on uh, from there. I, I think that, as you know, we mentioned this before, but I do think that Rom is going to be the guy going into this. Now that Bryson especially has his major and the way he won it, you know, John Rom's going to be world number two. I got to look at the rankings and see, but I think he's probably the only guy in the top five or six in the world without a major. And so now, while it's not really, you know, tapping your foot time of when are you going to get it, I think that that's going to be the next progression. And really the only thing left on his resume to get is, you know, everyone expects him to get not only one, but two or three majors, especially the masters, this, you know, the lineage he shares as a Spaniard with Olafabo, with Sergio, with Seve. It feels like this is a place where he could have a lot of success uh, and so he's absolutely going to be one of those guys, along with DJ, along with Bryson, that'll be topping the uh, 2021 power rankings once we get there. 
Well, it's been a fantastic year ending, of course, with a crowning of a Masters champion, Dustin Johnson, the 2020 Masters champion. If you're a golf fan, you got to follow Will Gray. He's on Twitter, WillGrayGC, and you can follow all his content on NBC Sports. Will, thank you so much for putting a bow with me today on the 2020 Masters on the We Sports Chronicles podcast. Good to be with you, Lucas. Thanks for having me.